Welcome to Power Surge, brought to you by Center for Industrial Progress. I'm Alex Epstein, coming to you from Orange County, California, joined by Stefan Henn, coming to you from Germany. Stefan, welcome back. Hello, everyone. All right. Glad to be back in one of the greatest climates on Earth. My time in Las Vegas was spent indoors almost exclusively. I was very grateful for the um, energy um, a lot of it hydro energy uh, that kept it, the temperature nice and cool but it is nice to be in a place where it is pleasant to be uh, outside so anyway let's start um, speaking of this pleasant place our first story is from california what is going on in southern california in oxnard stefan <laughs> yeah the city council of oxnard in california has um put a moratorium on plans to build a new natural gas-powered power plant. Um, and the reason they cite is that it's too close to the water, which will experience future sea level rise. And apparently they worry about, um, you know, sea level rise by global warming that will affect the plant. And it's not clear what exactly their reasoning is. If the power company wants to build that plant, I would say they, you know, have taken future sea level into account already because this plant is obviously there to stay for several decades at least. And the California law, by the way, um, um, requires the city councils to take climate change effects into account when approving these types of facilities. And by what means do they define uh, these effects? As in, how the hell are they predicting? Like, on what basis are they? Are they watching an inconvenient truth? What's what's going on? Um, I assume they will see something like. Um, projections of sea level for the local area in California and, um, you know, picks a high estimate and then say, well, that's our worst case scenario and we need to plan for that. So it's, you know, of course it's in large part speculative. Why don't they just build it a little bit higher or build some sort of protection? Well, in this case, I think it was um, the approval process. Uh, the company made a proposal, and then the city council put a moratorium on that. So it's if the power company has a certain plan for a certain uh, power plant, then the city has a say in it. And then they can cite something like sea level rise or something else. And uh, the plant actually is set to replace an outdated plant by the same company. And, yeah. So what I would like, although unfortunately I would not like this for Oxnard, but for those who are in places I would like to live, such as Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, um, I would invite you to sell me your beachfront property at a, at a big discount because <laughs> it's going to be worthless. Uh, based on these sea level projections. And one thing we, we've been studying and just putting the finishing touches on a moral case for fossil fuels, we've been s studying sea level records uh, and trends. And one thing that's just so remarkable is A, how 
continuous the trends are, or, how, or maybe the best way to put it is linear, and then also just how around the world they vary so much, including that some of it, some of the trends are going downward. So, Stefan, how is it how is it possible we have rising sea levels? How is it possible that sea levels going downward in certain places? Uh, well, it turns out that uh, human warming of the atmosphere is not the only factor in this. Um, we have, of course, uh, geological long-term processes going on. Like, um, well, you say of course, but I don't think that's even. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, it is sure. the sea level would be totally stable everywhere. And now the climate gods or climate devil is just raising it all up at the same time, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like uh, Phoenix and X-Men would raise water up in the air. And it's just all, that's how sea level works. They're just some, these insidious forces just raise it. And once it's going to get high enough, it's going to drown everyone. Yeah, that's not the case. If you take a look at Earth um, and the big picture, um, we are actually, the land masses are swimming on a big liquid pool of um, extremely hot stone and metals and so on. Um, and the Earth's crust is a very thin layer on that, that's solid. And um, there's movement going on. The um, land masses are moving up and down, and um, of course they move against each other, and uh, also the seafloor is moving up and down, and there are local factors like this. Or if you have something like um, receding glaciers that uh, put a lot of mass on the landmass, and then they recede, and um, the landmass lifts at one point and uh, declines at a different point just from that uh, mass being removed from the ice and all these processes combined, you know, result in a certain sea level change over time. And some of it is um, short term and other factors are long term. And um, the combination together with something called thermal expansion of the upper ocean layer, which is uh, assumed to be made uh, influenced at least by human greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that then means sea level rise or decline in the local area. And it's, it's different for local areas, of course, because many of these processes uh, are different and with different, different magnitude and sign in different areas. So, for example, in Scandinavia, um, the sea levels are actually declining a little bit. Yeah, so one point we've been talking about a lot lately internally is just how all many of the systems that are regarded as as stable things that man destabilizes or safe things that man makes dangerous uh, are in fact you know extreme you know systems of extreme change or at least continuous change and often dangerous change and often with climate at least can be described as volatile and thus require continuous change or adaptation. Um, or improvement on the part of, of human beings. So we've been duped into thinking that the real task with our environment is inaction. How do we stop messing it up versus, no, how do we improve it? How do we adapt to the changes, including any changes that, that we ourselves cause? And, and if the focus is that kind of, is that proactive focus 
you know, dealing with this inherent danger, inherent threat, inherent instability, then we'll be successful. But if our focus is, oh, let's just not do things uh, because we're afraid of our own changes to the already ever-changing system, then that's, that's a disastrous kind of policy. All right. Well, speaking of changing systems, we have a story from the Arctic. What's going on there? Yeah, there's a Japanese company, Mitsui OSK Lines, uh, that has just ordered some icebreaker tankers for liquid, uh, liquidized... Liquefied. Liquefied natural gas, of course. Yeah, my English is still a work in progress. Yeah, well, this um, is a part, you know, part of this purpose of this podcast is just daily, daily, daily tutoring. I, I should probably charge, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, and they have um, bought these tankers uh, or ordered these tankers, and they will uh, come online probably in 2018. And they will uh, deliver uh, liquefied natural gas to Europe and Asia. And this is possible because uh, over recent decades, uh, the North Pole sea ice uh, extent has been receding quite a bit. And that enables new shipping routes. So there is something positive coming from receding ice at the North Pole. Well, I think there's a lot of, of positive that comes from receding ice, although... We have records, I think, in the 20s and 30s of this kind of uh, recession happening. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see over the decades how good a calculation this is, because this ice, you know, this ice isn't permanent. It's again part of a dynamic system, so it it can increase and it can decrease. But it's it's worth noting that historically there was an extreme desire for this to happen, and we were talking about this in advance of the show. But ice is essentially anti-life. I mean, you have creatures who adapt to it through these amazing things. So polar bears adapt and walruses adapt, um, but you know, different underwater creatures adapt. But generally, you know, the more warmth you get, the more flourishing life you get. Now that can go too high too. I mean, you can be like mercury and not have, have life. Uh, but in general, the problem, the thing that human beings have to fear around the globe is not being too hot, but too cold. So it's it's revealing that there has be, become this fetish for the Arctic, usually by people who have studied it very, very little, beyond knowing, you know, there's polar bears there and maybe seeing polar bears on a Coca-Cola commercial. Um, but it's just really, it, you know, in general, cold, super cold is not a desirable thing. And so the it's... It's not conducive to human life, and it's not conducive to many uh, forms of life. So there's just this this bias that, well, something is sacred if human beings aren't there, but it is really desolate in these cold regions. And it's not, not a particular goal to try to warm them, but if they are warming them, that gives us access to it. And actually, Stefan, I want you to... You made, an, uh, I thought, a great point and a controversial point yesterday about thinking about the benefits um, versus problems of a melting Arctic. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I made a juxtaposition between like um, polar bears uh, dying out, go extinct, and um, the benefits of having all this free uh, 
this open sea in the North Pole where you can actually gather resources from the ground. Um, and then, I mean, that that's like, to me, a prime example of you have to look at the details, what will actually happen. And um, polar bears don't seem to be that important. They are cute and many people like them unless you face one yourself. <laughs> but uh, it's, that itself, that species dying out itself, it, I mean, there have been phases in the past where there haven't been polar bears around. So the world is not going under because just that one fact. So that said, it's a complex system and you have to look at all the detailed outcomes. And um, then, of course, that is, you know, part of that is speculation, part of that is things you might be able to calculate into the future, but um, yeah, there's even if a lot of sea ice is quote unquote lost, that also means you gain something. You gain access to new resources, um, you get better shipping lanes, and so on. And these are benefits that should be mentioned and wait in the in the process of assessing what's the real risk of the future. Uh, all right. Well, I wish people could have been there yesterday when when actually <laughs> that like this. It's pretty, although you did it now, but I think you, I just remember you said, yeah, it's no big deal. You know, we still have grizzly bears. We still have brown bears. Yeah, uh, so this particular bear form, I mean, it's like it has a huge influence on other species in the North Pole. I mean, they develop from some other type of bear. So, I mean, we could survive without them. It's not out of the question. Well, I think it's out of the question that we couldn't. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's a weird, and this has to do with just realizing the dynamic nature of nature. You hear this expression, I think, Bill, what's his name? Uh, Bill Maher likes to use it of, oh, I just want to grow up. I just want to live in the world I grew up in. Well, too bad. <laughs> I mean, really? Because you couldn't have had a TV show in the world that you grew up in. No computers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no computers. No places for uh, obscenities. No super cheap travel to the Playboy Mansion, which is a big part of his uh, his life. Um, you know, this is you know no five hundred channels, and it's just and it, we you know we were looking the other day at just the data of of sea level rise, and most people don't know that sea level rise historically is has dramatically declined. I mean, eight, 10,000 years ago, you have this dramatic, dramatic sea level rise of many, many feet in a relatively short amount of time. You know, that, and that, that is certainly, there were no fossil, there's no fossil fuel burning going on uh, back then. But it, this is just the dynamic nature of nature. And so we think about, it, we can get attached to a given, the existence of a given species and, and, you know, if for aesthetic reasons you happen to like it, that's why, you, you know, you can do things like make zoos or you can make preserves. But you have to realize that what you are doing is, in fact, uh, in a sense, unnatural. That is, you are, for aesthetic reasons, uh, preserving, you know, a certain thing. But, you know, nature as such doesn't have, a, is not an organism. It's not a living being. It doesn't, have, doesn't care one way or another if there are polar bears there. Someday there won't be, and for billions of years there weren't any. So there's nothing particularly sacred about any stage of historical evolution, except from the perspective of, of organisms. And you know, we are human organisms, and so things are sacred or not from our perspective. And thus, if there's an enormous opportunity to get um, 
you know, resources at low cost from under the sea, that's a great thing uh, to do and that's a welcome thing. Or if we can travel more easily or if there's just more beautiful places to visit where we're actually not going to freeze to death, that's another good thing. But there's, there's this uh, view of wilderness as, you know, as a standard of value, as God, um, untouched nature. And that is, you know, that is an anti-human view. All right. And with that, we will, oh, any, any final things from you, Stefan? No, I would just agree that um, nature isn't inherently stable in any way. Um, we wouldn't exist if that was true, because we develop over time, as we know. Um, and, and yeah, about Bill Mayer, maybe he grew up in a world where there was no Bill Mayer show, and he liked that better. Well, you know, we have a big internal conflict at CIP, which I, I should reveal. It's, one, it's probably our biggest internal disagreement, although it's not between me and Stefan. Uh, it might be, but between me and Eric Dennis, because Eric Dennis likes the Bill Maher show. And, he can be funny at times. Yeah. Uh, well, I would like to be on that show, so I'll just say that Eric is at least <laughs> slightly more of a fan of that show than uh, I am. So there you go, CIP's Dirty Laundry. If you want to learn more about us, although that will not be on our website, go to industrialprogress.com, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, we will, Stefan and audience, I will talk to you tomorrow. Until then. <laughs>